Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. All right, so what starts with tea ends with tea and is full of tea. A teapot. A teapot. Is that what he said? He got the message. Ah, he knows my joke. All right, what do you call a cow that's just given birth? Decaffeinated. All right. Y'all get a Bible? You're going to want one today. We're going to be two different places. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7 before we're done. All right? I had wanted to skip this message. This was the message when I planned the sermon series on No Eye in Church. This was the one I skipped. The reason is I don't want to talk about it. But Andy Stanley came out with, uh, if y'all don't know who he is, he's a church of a pastor's church down in uh, Atlanta. And he did this unconditional conference, and then all the, I watched his explanation of unconditional conference, and then I watched other people talking about it, and then I heard people talking and reading articles, and I'm like, this is a hot button in our church world today. We at least need to deal with it. So instead of dealing with it like all them, I'm going to deal with it like me. And this is how I deal with it. Y'all ready for this? I go to the scriptures to tell me what to think rather than the culture to tell me what to think. So we're going to talk today about sexuality. Sex. Everybody say sex. Sex. Oh, not everybody said it. Everybody say it with me loud. Sex. Sex. All right, there you go. We said it. It's out in the open. The Bible has a lot to say about sex. Did you all know that? So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about it. Uh, There was a a, uh, mom... One of the videos I was watching preparing for this message, there was a mom whose daughter came to her at the end of the school day and came up to her and said, Mom, I just want you to know I'm straight. I'm a cis straight girl. I'm, I'm straight. I'm attracted to guys and I'm straight. And she said, well, that's nice, honey. Why are you telling me that? And she said, because today at school, we were told it's coming out day and everybody has to declare their sexual identity and, and desires. Do you realize this stuff is going on at your schools? Do you realize that? That's the reason elections like this election upcoming make a big deal. Uh, There's some school board members you probably ought to do some research on and vote on. There's some things on the ballot. We'll talk about one of them next week. There's some things you need to pay attention to. But do you know that I sat with a group of our kids. I get a privilege. It's an honor that every year I try to drive our kids to camp. All right, when they're going to camp. And I try to drive them back. I don't often get to, but I love to drive our teenagers to camp. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love to hang out with teenagers. I love teenagers. I respect teenagers. I believe teenagers are young men and young women. I don't believe they're kids. <clears throat> I believe in you guys. So anyway, I'm in the, in the van driving, and I hear a conversation down in Lodi where they had the rainbow box, you know, in Lodi. And, there became this whole conversation among a group of boys that were in the sixth grade. 
Are y'all following me here? Sixth grade boys. And they were talking about sexuality as it was being taught in their health class at school. And how their teacher was promoting that homosexuality is preferable to being straight. It's absolutely what the boys were saying their health teacher was telling them. Are you guys following me here? The reason I'm telling you this is that's why I've got to talk about the subject today. Okay? It's because it's already being talked about everywhere else. I might as well talk about it and tell you what God says rather than what the entire culture is saying. Are y'all following me? All right, so have I established why I've got to do this? All right, good. So first of all, I want to be very clear. This message is not about homosexuality. It will contain truths about homosexuality, but this message is about human sexuality and how to please God with your bodies. That's what I want to talk to you about, is how to please God with your bodies. So we have a problem. Our problem didn't start with the modern LGBT movement. Our problem didn't start with the sexual revolution of the 1960s, which I got to watch the firsthand shrapnel of people's lives being destroyed after being through the free sex movement. Our problem started in the garden with two naked people. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. All right, I have five pages of notes. I usually have three. I have five. All right, I've worked more hours on this sermon than I normally work on two or three sermons, all right? I've got a lot to say, and it's all researched, and not just Christian. I've done secular research as well. Are y'all following me? So what I want to share with you today are things that I found to be facts because when somebody that's conservative says something that's liberal, I can believe it. And when somebody that's liberal says something that's conservative, I can believe it. Are y'all following me? So would you be all right if I just talked to you about facts rather than all the feelings floating around? All right, good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Why did he put him in the Garden of Eden? To work. Some of you think work is a curse. Work is not a curse. It is privilege. To work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. What was the command God gave? Come on. First command God gave. These are the first words of God. You are free. God's words to humanity has always been you are free. That's the reason we sang the songs we sang today. It's the reason we're going to sing the song we sing at the end today. You are free. God's design and desire for you is always freedom. And anything that makes you anything other than free is not from God. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. So there's one tree, don't eat of my tree. This is my tree. It's the knowledge between good and evil. You know, it wasn't just knowledge of evil, it was knowledge of good and evil, all right? Then the Lord God said, you know what though, I'm looking at this dude, it's not good for this man to be alone. And every man in the room said, amen. It's not good to be alone. And they said, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Then we go over to chapter 2, verse 22. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. <clears throat> For she was taken out of man. And by the way, anything that other than whoa, man, does not honor you as a whoa, man. 
I don't think you got that. Because what we've got right now is a lot of dishonoring of both males and females, and it's being systematically done in our culture. And God has a desire to make you a whoa man, not just a whoa man. man. All right. Where are we at? Where am I at? Woe man. I was at woe man. Woe man. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. That is a sexual statement. Sexual statement right here. The introduction. Before the fall, God intended for sex to happen before the fall. So sex is not sinful. Was never designed to be sinful. It was designed to be completing. So Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no what? Shame. Shame. All right. Genesis 3, 6, and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for being smart, yeah, because we all want to be smart, right? That's one of the lies of sin is that it's going to make you wiser. She took some of it, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. No blame in the woman because the man was there. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. What happened to them? Their eyes were open and they realized they were what? This is weird now. Come on, think about this, everybody. Think, think. I take a bite of food and my view of my body changes. This, this is really key to understanding everything that you feel. This is key to understanding everything you feel. When you partake of sin, when sin entered this world, it changed your view of your body and your sexuality. Are y'all following me here? That's really odd because it shouldn't work that way. I eat food, my body changes. I become shameful of my sexual identity in the moment I partake of sin. So the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. So what did they do? What did they immediately do? They covered. They were afraid. They were ashamed. So they covered. And they made coverings for themselves. So the original two, they had purpose for their bodies to work in the garden to be companions. They had corresponding views of their body. They were to complement each other and not in a complementarian way like the Baptists are making it. They were there to complement one another, not control one another. All right? The comfort, they had comfort and peace in their bodies. They were naked. They had no shame. But as soon as they sinned, they hid, no longer fulfilling the purpose for their bodies. They stopped working and started hiding. Do you see that? All right. And then their relationship to one another changed. The man began to rule. The woman began to desire. And the same, the shame affected their view of their bodies. Their disorientation and shame in their bodies came not from anything other than sin. It was only sin. So sin change the way we view our bodies. Right? So I'm a Bible teacher. Can y'all all see that I'm not making anything up with this statement? All right? That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Regardless of what culture teaches, that's what the Bible teaches. Am I correct? All right, good. Let's move on. Jesus then affirmed this story, which is where Harvest Ridge Church gets our view of all sexuality. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6, people say Jesus never commented on it. Yes, he did, but he commented in the positive, not in the negative. He did not prohibit because God is always a you are a free God, not a don't do God. The only reason he wrote the don't do is because we weren't listening, but that's a whole different sermon for a different day. 
So what does Jesus do? He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them? How did He make them? How many genders are there? Okay. And He said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And this is Jesus speaking, not me. So a man will be united to his wife. So marriage is between one man, one woman, and the two will become one flesh, and they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And sexuality sh should not happen outside of that one man, one woman relationship, both before, during, and after marriage. All right, y'all following me? All right. So our affirmation of sexuality comes from what Jesus said there. All right, now we have five passages that I want to work through, and I have about 25 minutes to do it. So I'm going to give them each five minutes. One of them is going to take a little longer than the others. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us five passages on sexuality, and, and I wanted to avoid it, but I can't avoid it because it's so clear in the passage. So if you have a Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to go first. So five statements Paul makes about sexuality that support what Jesus declared, which Jesus supported what the original story was. All right? Everybody sort of understand that? The original story lays out the plan. Jesus affirmed the plan. Paul's now going to affirm what Jesus said. And the first thing we're going to say is some sexual acts are wrong. You know, sexual, every single person in this room believes some sexual acts are out of bounds. What, what are they? Is it promiscuity, pornography, prostitution? Where's your line? Bestiality, rape, incest, rape of infants, rape of you. Somewhere in there, there's a line. There is a line. And that line is that sex is always wrong somewhere. Are, are y'all following me? So the debate is not whether or not there is a line. The debate is who gets to set the line. Are you following me? I want to be very, very clear. The debate is not if there is right and wrong sexual behaviors. The debate is who gets to declare who gets to what is right and wrong. I and this body believe that God has the right to make those declarations, not us. So because of that, I will look to the Scriptures to inform my views. As somebody that's... Anyway. I have a lot of compassion when talking about this subject. Because my earliest childhood memory is not appropriate for me to even talk about. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? There are lines. And if you say there aren't lines, you're a liar. Sorry, I didn't mean to get passionate. But I know that this opens up wounds in some people, and I want to let you know I'm with you in your woundedness. I hurt with you in your woundedness because I personally am still dealing with it. Okay? 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind that even pagans don't tolerate. What's Paul saying? There's some things that are so out of bounds, even pagans don't put up with it. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. <laughs> That's pretty messed up, isn't it? Your mother-in-law? Of all the people. Anyway, all right. 
<laughs> All right. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And listen to these words. And you are what? You're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this for my part? Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment on the name, or passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord is present. Come on, church is not just church. When we are gathered together with the saints and God's present is, presence is with us, and this is what he says to do. Hand this man over to Satan that his body or his flesh may be destroyed, that his spirit may be raised up on the day of the Lord. What is happening here? Paul says some sexual sins are just wrong. When that happens, don't be proud. Instead, call for repentance. And notice that the purpose of the judgment is not to judge. The purpose is to lead to repentance, not to punish. A lot of us, when we think about sexual improprieties, we want to punish and we want to hurt those who do wrong. No, what God wants is repentance that leads to freedom, not to punishment. You know, there's an old saying, is that you will not change until it hurts worse to stay the way you are than it does to change. I've talked with a bunch of alcoholics over the years, and every alcoholic I've ever run into, everyone that's ever changed, what happened is they got to the bottom, bottom. And what happened was when they got to the bottom, they realized, I am wretched and I need help. God help me. And in that moment, freedom, life, repentance, restoration came. Okay? So some sexual acts are wrong. And some of our behaviors are wrong, and we need to quit being codependent with those who are doing wrong so that they can feel the pain of their sin and instead return to God instead of covering them from it. And if your teenager won't work or your 30-year-old won't work and you're still letting them live in their basement and pay all their food, you are a part of the problem as much as they are. Y'all following me? All right, second of all, sinful behaviors are condemned. Let's talk about the sinful behaviors condemned. This is the passage that some call clobber passages. And I, listen, that's not my purpose. My purpose is to share what Scripture says. Here we go. Paul just finished a lecture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We heard about it last week. Why not rather be wronged? Why do you have to go judge other people and pull your judgments out of the church? Why not make decisions in the church? And then he says this, or do you not know? that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That's what you were. The beautiful message of the cross of Jesus is there is cleansing and restoration and hope. That's what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So let's back up and let's talk about the words here because there's a lot of debate and all kind of stuff. So let's just go back through. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So these are people that will not inherit God's kingdom. First of all, sexually immoral. The word there is porneo or pornoi. And that is any sexual action that is not one man, one woman for life, be it pre-sexual marriage, be it after, you know, it's whatever. Uh, porneo would include prostitution, 
but today would probably include porn. I want to make a statement about pornography. Those of you that are addicted to pornography, and there are a bunch of you in this room. Here's the deal. You get no right to look down your nose at anybody else as long as you are still struggling with a sin, especially a sin like this, and you're still addicted to it. I want you to be clean and you to be cleansed just as much. It's about time that you take some vibrant steps to get rid of your pornography addiction. Because nobody, and I mean nobody, and I mean nobody, is better for porn. Not the girls who are being raped for money and drugs. Do any research behind what's going on. They don't like it. That's, nobody's better. You're not better. It doesn't create intimacy with your spouse. It doesn't do any of those things. As a matter of fact, do you know the number one cause the, when they've done research, do you know the number one cause of male dysfunction sexually? Pornography. It isn't. Anyway. Second of all, idolaters, those who worship false gods. What you need to know is that idolaters is actually speaking of sexual immorality as well. Because at, at Corinth, they had this temple of Aphrodite with 10,000 prostitutes, both male and female, and there was um, idolatry and sexual... You don't even want to know what they did with Pan in worship of Pan, the half goat, half man. Are, are y'all following me? There's all idolatry worship, idol worship, and promiscuity and sexual deviancy go hand in hand in this culture. And then alter, adulterers, that's moikoi, and moikoi is a married person having sex with someone not their partner. Um, so Paul is condemning those who are sexually immoral, those who do it as idolatry, sexual immorality, and those who are adulterers. In 35 years of pastoral ministry, I have talked to a lot of people that have had affairs or, or had sex before they're married and then they got married. And I will say this, in 35 years, I have not heard one single circumstance where a marriage is stronger because of extramarital sexuality. Not one. But I could give you literally dozens of people whose marriage and their lives are much more difficult because of their sexual perversions outside of their marriage. And then we get to sexuality. We get to the homosexual stuff, which everybody likes to talk about. Let me define them for you. The first one, there are two words here. There are two Greek words. The first one is malakoi, which means the passive homosexual partner. The word literally means effeminate. Have you noticed that especially among male homosexuals, how there is an effeminate behavior often, anyway. There is a passive, but he doesn't just stop with the effeminate. He, the next word he uses, arsenotokai. Arsenotokai is a Greek word formed out of Leviticus 18.22 that there's a prohibition that a man shall not sleep with a man. So in case you're wondering, this passage is very, very clear. No matter what part you participate in in a homosexual relationship, it is sin. All right? Then he goes on and he talks about some other sins, like thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, and swindlers. Do y'all see those? Those are in the passage as well. All right, let me tell you a story. 
Um, I was in Kansas City. The year was 2000. I was in Kansas City, Missouri. The Assemblies of God had something on our bylaws that was going to deal with homosexuality and sexuality. And there was a guy out front had heard what was going to happen. He was standing out front, him and a little cadre of people gathered around protesting the Assemblies of God, which is our parent organization. They were protesting and they were holding a sign. And the sign said, are y'all ready for this? This is not me talking. This is what the guy sign said. It said, God hates fags. I just wonder, in the same passage that condemns homosexuality, does it say slanderers? Right there, see it? Second line down, first word. It says what? If God hates fags, then God hates the guy who is slandering homosexuals holding a sign on the corner. He is just as guilty as anybody else. Are y'all following me? All right. I just want you to know that. That slanders, drunkards, greedy, swindlers, they're in the same list. All right. And I love how this ends. You ready how this passage ends? That's what some of you... That is a past tense verb. You no longer are, you were. But you were, listen to the words Paul uses, you were washed. (laughs) You were washed. That's why we do baptism. Last week, come on, we were celebrating the washing off of the old sins and the old life. You were washed. You were sanctified. Sanctified means literally that you are set apart to God. You were justified. What does justified mean? That's a big word. Anybody have justification on your computer? You know, it's left justify, and you type, and all the words go to the left. And then you, or you can write justify, or you can center justify. And then they got this other one just called justify. And you know what that means? It means all the words get stretched so that all of it is equal. Do you know what justified means? It means that when Jesus' blood came into your life, you are made equal and square with God in all areas, and there's nothing that you lack because his blood filled it up. Come on. That's what it means. So I want to talk about homosexuality for just a second. My research leads me to proclaim that there are three... We need to make a differentiation between three different... Um, types of homosexuality. The first one we're going to call those whose earliest childhood fantasies are same sex. Um, I've dealt with people over the years. This is a small minority. Uh, Typically it was 1.9 to 2 percent of the population up until 2000 or so that same sex attracted were their earliest memories. There's a lot of debate about this, where it comes from. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is there a gay gene? As a matter of fact, in all my research, and and I did a bunch of it, you can ask my wife because she lost me for a couple of nights, Um, nobody from the LGTB movement, nobody from conservative Christianity, nobody that's a progressive is now proclaiming there's a gay gene and you're born that way. If you are doing that, you're having to, you're, you may have earliest childhood memories that are same sex, but nobody is saying that it is a gene because no gene can be found. So 
I'm reading a book by Gaber Mate, who is a totally secular psychologist. And one of the things he talks about is how children often come out of the womb and they actually, there are times that children come out of the womb and they have uh, PTSD from things that happened while they were in their mother's womb. And that is a proven fact. Because we are complex individuals. The, the, the abortion, that's all. And, oh, and by the way, this is how secular the guy is. He says, that doesn't mean I'm not pro-choice. <laughs> Kids can have feelings and emotions in the womb, but we can still kill them. But that's a whole different... We'll talk about that next week. Oh, all right. Why am I saying this? Is because the nature-nurture discussion around the homosexuality is now moved to, in nearly every front, that homosexuality is always a choice, even if your earliest, um, even if your earliest um, attractions were same-sex. And I will tell you, I have a lot of compassion here. I've listened to dozens of stories. If you're a person, this is you, I would love to personally spend some time with you and talk to you, all right? Secondly of all, we need to draw a distinction between that and natural sexual development. I, I want to say, especially to those of you that have kids or are uh, teenagers in this room, that 13, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds have this load of endorphins and testosterone dumped in their bodies. And your brain is not fully formed. So when you put those two together, it is a recipe for confusion. And it's, all right, statistics have prone, shown for, for centuries, literally, that at some point in this emotional, sexual, going on inside you, come on, anybody know, anybody remember that, even if you don't have it now? And that's how you feel. And then your brain's not fully formed, so you're not sure how to deal with it all. It is... No 13-year-old feels great in their body. No 13-year-old feels comfortable in your body. That's the reason Harry Potter... Come on. And Percy Jackson, and I can name all the others, they all say the same thing. They're all written to the same age group that says you don't like you, you don't feel good in you, you're still special. And that's why those books are such big sellers everywhere because no 12-year-old likes themselves. So if you're one of them and you're confused and you're not sure what to do with your body, welcome to being a 12-year-old. Do you know what you don't do? You don't listen to your brain because your brain's not fully formed. That's why God gave you a church. That's why God gave you parents. That's why God gave you sane people to talk in your life, not people that want to cut your junk off. Did I say all that out loud? Listen, guys, we're not condemning you for being a teenager. My goodness. When I was 13, you don't want to know some of the thoughts that went through my head. Especially when you add pornography into it. Especially if you're a dude and you're looking at porn and you're 13 years old or even worse if you're 10 or 11. And those of you that let your 10-year-olds have phones, what's the matter with you? Because if you let a 10-year-old prepubescent before they can finish the task, 
If you let them look at porn, there are reams of writings and statistics on what you're doing to their brain, and it's destroying them. And, and that's part of the phone revolution we got going on. Guys, just anyway. All my time is gone, and I've still got three more pages. I do need to talk about those who are being socialized. Oh, by the way, if you're struggling with that, talk to Pastor Matt or somebody like that, because, I mean, we can help you. We understand, guys. And if you need some help dealing with that, it's our, it's our right to struggle. It's our right to struggle. It's our right to be confused. It's our right to go through these things. You know what it's not our right to do? Destroy yourself in the process, especially when you've got people that love you. And this, by the way, this church is a safe place to talk about these things. And if you're one of those people that you don't think it's safe to talk about it, maybe you need to find another church. Because if you're so stuck up on your holiness that you can't admit you have problems and you need to help other people with their problems, this is probably not the church for you. Let's talk about those who are being socialized. Yes, I use the word socialized. I told you statistically for centuries about right around 2% of the population identified as same-sex attracted. In 2011, the population was 3.5% in the United States. Around the world, it's still less than that, in the 1% to 2%. By 2023, 7.2% of the population identified as LGB. And I could give you the locations I found this. They were all from non-Christian sites. Okay? Uh, in 2023, nearly 20% of Gen Z, that's those 18 and below, nearly 20% identified as same-sex attracted. What's happened is, guys, I'm going to use a word. It's a fad. Does anybody remember when LSD was a fad? Anybody remember that? LSD is no longer a fad. Do you know why? Because it stays in your system for the rest of your life, and if you use LSD, you are dumb. And we all know that now, right? Does anybody remember when earrings in the guy's right ear was a big fad? Anybody remember that? I don't see a lot of them. But, but there were, man, when I was in college, every dude was wearing parachute pants and earrings in their right ear. You remember when cigarettes were a fad back in the 50s? And we now know where that leads us, right? All right. Like cigarettes in the 50s, LSD in the 70s, guys' earrings in the 80s, nearly all rebellions are based on societal injustices. And I will tell you this current LGBTQ Rebellion and fad is based on some societal injustices that we as the church have not dealt with appropriately. God did not make us to be, and I'm speaking to the older generation, God did not make marriage to be June and Ward Cleaver from the 1950s. And the problem is, is the church wants to propagate those lies and that misogyny, and the, the community is rebelling against it, and they should push against it because that is not a biblical view of marriage. Y'all still love me? Y'all all right with this? All right. So as a church, we need to listen to learn and, and listen to the next generation and appreciate the fact that there are some things they're saying we need to hear whether we like it or not. We need to listen, not just talk to. So one more thing I'm going to say, and I need to say this, and it, it, say whatever you want, but I've, I've read several books, and I've studied cults for years. And the modern LGBTQIAA++ movement is a cult. No, it, it, it is a cult. It is a cult. You don't believe it. 
Just get in it and try to leave it, and you will get the same reactions you get when you try to leave a cult. All right. So, I have compassion on people that have sexual struggles. I have a ton of compassion on people who have sexual struggles. A ton. But just because we have compassion, it doesn't mean that we give license to it. Instead, we need to go back to the way God made us in the garden where we can live without shame and with the freedom God made for us. By the way, let me say one more thing about homosexuality. In the New Testament, it is strongly condemned. I'm going to read you the two other clobber passages, if you will, because that's what I hear them called. Um, and I want, I want you to notice something when we get to the end of these two passages, all right? First, 1 Timothy 1.9, we, kn- we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the holy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, which is pretty bad, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, there's that word again, for the practicing homosexuality, so there it is, it's very, very clear, that's arsenatokai again, for slave traders, wow, right there together, slavery is always wrong, well... All right, for liars, perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. All right, there's that one. How about this? Romans chapter 1, verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women, in case you're wondering, is this only a guy thing? No, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, were inflamed with lust with one another. Men committed shameful acts with one or with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So what's being lost here is the knowledge of God in our bodies. For God gave them over to a depraved mind that they, uh, ought, uh, so that they do what ought not be done. They're filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gospelers, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They even invent ways of doing evil. They are disobedient to their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. All right. The thing I want you to notice out of all three passages I read that contain homosexual condemnation, notice that every single one of them is a vice list condemning more than just sexual problems. Are y'all following me? So can I put this for you biblically? Sexual, homosexual sin is not a special category It's not a special category. It's just one more sin. Are you all following me? All right. So the answer then is the question that's been asked. What do you say to the 13-year-old boy, and this is the question I heard asked multiple times over the last couple weeks. What do you say to the 13-year-old boy that says, I struggle with same-sex attraction? Let me me answer this first of all by saying, what do I say to the 13-year-old boy that says I'm attracted to the same sex? The answer is going to be the same to him as it will be to a 50-year-old African woman. I don't think you caught that. It will be the same to him as it will be to a 40-year-old Chinese man. It will be the same to him as it would be a church in the first century. 
It will be the same as it's been to every single person throughout all time, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual identity, regardless. It is always the same because the answer to sin is always the same. First of all, I would say is that God has never promised to fulfill your sexual desires. Especially your romantic desires. Those of you that make God's desire for your life equal to your romantic sexual fantasies, be it the bachelor or be it pornography or same-sex attraction, you have no promise from God that your sexual desires will be filled. Did you know that? Because your body desires things sometimes that is not best for you. Anybody ever sit down with a big cake and you look at the cake and you eat a piece of the cake and it's a little piece and you think to yourself, I want another. Anybody ever think that? And, and if you really think that second piece of cake makes you feel better, what happens after you eat that second piece of cake in three minutes? You say, I'm full, but I want... Another, because your fleshly body will never be fulfilled by any fleshly desires on this earth. Be it romance, pleasure, lust, wealth, pride, whatever. Second of all, the second thing I would say to all people, all times, all places, y'all ready for this? God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to become something else for God to love you. He loves you. The next thing I would tell you is, is that God's design, plan, and purpose for your life is better than your design, plan, and purpose for your life. God actually knows what fulfills your soul. And if your soul is fulfilled, you can take care of your body. But if you spend all your time trying to make your flesh happy, your soul gets emptier. <laughs> so you ready? The last thing I would tell them? Submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ requires every part of your life, not part of it. Boy, I've got so much more to say. I even, haven't even hit 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Would you all give me three minutes? Are you all all right with this? I mean, I can stop and go home here. I'm going to do it. All right, I'm going to do 1 Corinthians. You're the spiritual nature of your body. You are made with a spiritual nature for your body. To find your way, you need a fixed reference point. Does anybody remember back before we had phones and you had to get somewhere and they had this thing called a map? Does anybody remember those? It's a map, it's a map, it's a map, it's a map! Why did Dora always scream? I don't know. Anyway, uh, but even, even then, if you didn't have a map, and say, I wanted to give you directions about how to get to downtown North Ridgeville in all of its glory. What would I say to you? I would say, when you go out of the parking lot, the parking lot will end. You pull out, turn right at the T where the parking lot ends. Is everybody following me? What did I just give you? I gave you a reference point where the parking lot ends. And then I'm going to say, go to the first stoplight. Are you all following me? You go to the first stoplight. On the left-hand side, there will be a used car lot. So what, what we're doing here is I'm giving you reference points to know where to go and how to live your life. Are y'all following this? 
What this modern culture is trying to tell us is there are no fixed reference points. No wonder we're lost. What I want to tell you is that if you want to find your way through this life in a healthy way, you need some fixed reference points. And your feelings are not fixed reference points. Do you know what feeling you trust? None of them. Guys, I've been married for 35 years to the same woman. And romantic love is not enough to stay together. I've been happily married for 23 years. Her about 15. What am I telling you? Romantic feelings are not a fixed reference point for life decisions. So without external reference points, we will wander lost in the wilderness of our emotional hopes and dreams. So Paul tells us a fixed reference point. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to speed this up. Here we go. Do you not know that your bodies... Everybody say, my body. Your body are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whatever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit, which then gives life to your body. And then he says this, flee, run away, run away, run away from sexual immorality. Other sins a person commits are outside of their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against your own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? What is your body? Your body is made to be a temple, a dwelling location of God himself. Wow. You have way too low a view of your body. Look at, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I can't stand my body. I need to do this, that, that, that. No, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. Your body is not your own. It was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It was bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with what you do with your bodies. So what are fixed reference points of Scripture? Real quick, number one, your body is more than your sexual or gender identity. Your body's fixed reference point is not your sexual desires. It is that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Number two, your body was made by a loving God who passionately loves you. Number three, your body is made to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And number four, honoring God with your body in this way is fulfilling to its ultimate design. Number five, when you submit to Christ, your body ceases to be your own. Back to the Garden of Eden. Back, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Back to the Garden of Eden. They ate fruit. Their view of their bodies changed. Do y'all got that? They ate something and their sexual identity was goofed up. If you don't feel comfortable in your body, the answer is not to change what you do with your body. The answer is to change what you do with your spirit 
which will then restore your body. I'm promoting submission to Jesus Christ as your Lord. One more thing, and we're just going to skip here. And so come on, band, come on up. Talking about your body. If I have a, say, a 15-year-old girl come up to me, and she weighs about 92 pounds. And, you know, she's this post-pubescent girl weighing 92 pounds. Her hair's starting to fall out. She's skin and bones. And she looks at me and she says, I'm so fat. I look in the mirror and all I am is fat. I'm ugly. I'm disgusting because I'm fat. How unloving would it be for me to say, you're doggone right. Let's starve you some more. How unloving would it be for me to abuse her body more because her feelings say something to her that isn't true? In the same way, it would be incredibly unloving for the church of Jesus Christ to say to people who are struggling with the view of themselves, their sexual identity, and to tell them, you're right, just go ahead and practice it. It would be to destroy their bodies that Jesus made to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I, for one, I'm not going to call you they. And if you think I'm unloving, I'm sorry. I love you so much, I won't lie to you. I don't think you got that. I love you so much, I won't lie to you. I'm not going to tell you it's okay. I will love you. I will accept you. I will invite you into my house and we will have conversations and food and all that kind of stuff. But I am not going to tell you it's okay. I'm going to love you. I've loved a whole lot of people for a long time that do a whole lot of stupid stuff and you're just one of them. But you know what? I expect you to do the same to me to love me because I'm a stupid guy too who does stupid stuff, right? Are you following me? All right. I want to conclude with my conclusion. This is my conclusion. So how do we respond to this message? I had two other things I wanted to talk. One of the things I wanted to say is singleness is not a curse. It is literally a gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we'll talk about that later. How do we respond? First of all, if you have tendencies, feelings, or longings of same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, please don't hide it. I would hope this would be a safe place to talk about it. If you're a person that you struggle with those kind of things, hiding didn't work in the garden for Adam and Eve, and it will, won't, won't work for you. So don't hide it. Let's have talks about it. This is a safe place for you to admit you're a sinner. Don't I tell you that all the time, that I'm a sinner? Well, then you can admit it too, all right? We're all sinners. We need help. Talk to someone. Second of all, we want to help you identify the struggle and create some new reference points that will help you have victory. We're going to point you to Jesus, to God's word, and we're gonna point you to truth and life. And last of all, realize that if we disagree with you, we can still love you even if we disagree with you. Right? All right, now what I wanna say, that's to those of you that struggle, and let me just do this real quick. Jesus, if there are people in this room right now that are struggling with their identity, and their physical body. And some of them have been socialized by this culture, so they're thinking thoughts that are absolutely not who they are. I pray that right now your blood, your mercy, your goodness would wash over minds and spirits and bodies right now, and there would be restoration, life, and hope. Amen. Now last, before we, before we do this, 
If you're a follower of Jesus who doesn't have this homosexual struggle, can I talk to you? How do you respond? Number one, repent. Repent of your sin. And when you realize how sinful you truly are, it's a whole lot easier to love somebody else that's sinful. Just because they have a different sin doesn't mean you're better than them. So repent. Whether it's a woman worshiping romance novels or a man addicted to porn, we have sexual views and behaviors that are not God's best, and we need to quit justifying our own sins and repent of our sins. This means that we are not superior to those with different sins. Secondly of all, I need to repent, and we need to repent as a church of how we have mistreated people in the LGBTQ culture. Your slander, your jokes, your, your superioristic attitudes, you need to repent of them in the name of Jesus. Stop being the person that makes them not want Jesus. And ask God to give you a heart of love for them like he has a heart of love for you. So love them. And then stop lying to yourself. Romantic love, stop lying. Can we just stop lying as a church? Romantic love is not the goal of this life. And, and you ready for this? Love among a community of faith and believers, both single and married, that love of commitment, agape, is what fulfills your soul, not romantic love. Stop lying to kids, telling them, you're gonna find the one, and they're going to be perfect, and you're never gonna have problems. Liar. All right, you ready for this? Patience. This is a fad, it will move on. So quit being so amped up about it all the time and have some patience. And then last of all, maintain truth. Some of you, it's going to cost you your job. You're going to get fired because you maintain truth. That's all right. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. And you have way too temporal view of this world. You think this world is all about your pleasure and your body being good? No, it's not. This world is about you honoring God with your body because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you're persecuted for his name's sake, there is a reward in heaven and on earth for it. I was in the Colosseum. They did feed Christians to lions there. And they went with pride in their heart because persecution is an honor when you do it for the right reasons. All right? Now, here's what we're going to do. There's some of you... Would y'all all stand real quick? There's some of you, as I was talking through this, God was dealing with your heart. I don't care what it's about. I don't care if it's the fact that you need to forgive somebody or there's somebody in your world that you're not in good relationship with. You want somebody to pray with you? We have people across front of this building today to pray with you. They're gonna sing a song, and as they sing a song, if you want somebody to pray with you, we're here, we'll hang out. The rest of you need to go get your kids. They are destroying the church building, and the kids' workers are pulling their hair out. Jesus, bless your family of faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.